0: Welcome back to the human exception this week we have a very special guest Morgan Morgan is currently attending school to become a licensed therapist with a focus on trauma in this episode we'll talk about the power dynamics of abusive relationships and overcoming trauma she even helps provide a little bit of insight when it comes to Jen and her serial predatory behavior so naturally for the content warning be prepared for those discussions we all share some of our own experiences in abusive relationships whether that be with family members or romantic partners as well as discuss stalking occult like dynamics, so please listen with care. And of course, you can't forget the foul language. We do want to stress that Morgan is not a licensed professional. While she is on that path and has strong interests both personally and professionally, all advice given herein should be considered anecdotal at best. If you are struggling with any of the things mentioned in this episode, we strongly recommend reaching out to a professional for further assistance. Let's get ready for another human exception.
1: Be amazing and stream to what? <laughs> Twitch. <laughs> oh. Cuz we just started streaming stream yesterday. Morgan, you're going to have to talk to Kayla about
2: the mic thing. About the what thing? About Mike. Oh my god, yes. So I saw him on like the little side of your Discord. Yeah. And he he's like he he's, he's my favorite. I lo- <laughs> <laughs> like religiously. I, oh my God. I was like, we logged in as like oh, Amanda. Is that is that who? It, like, is that him? Like, <laughs> I, I love, I love his stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, just Mike, just hanging out.
3: Yep. We're just yeah. like. Cool.
0: I, <laughs> I was starstruck the whole time. Still, damn, it's still weird it's to just me. Like, I at work. Like, I know. Yeah, him to work. we're
3: like, it's just Mike. He's a oh, guy.
0: Love that.
1: That's <laughs> so cool. He's very chill. He's a very cool guy. Yeah, he's great people. I'm
2: sure he is. He seems yeah, like just it.
0: very. But... <laughs> All right. Well, I guess uh, welcome back to the Human Exception. <laughs> this is so weird. It is so weird. I was like, so weird. Have we ever recorded
1: Hex? Well, video? With we video? just had that live show that you and I did. Right
0: yeah that was it but yeah well, well we're on, on video right now you can't see that so that's too bad for you uh, but we can see each other
1: because we, we Can we screen
0: record us? it and and put some snips on the instagram right. i am i am oh, i am wearing a freaking pokemon onesie right now because i didn't want to put clothes on okay this is where <laughs> we're at i got dressed for this what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs>
3: I have to go out after this, so I had to put pants on.
4: I put a bra on. Oh, no, that's that's for you guys. So. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, you guys put way more effort into this than I did. (laughs) So. All right, yeah, so we have a very special guest today, friend of Hallie's and soon to be friend of ours, Morgan. Hello. Um, Morgan, do you want to tell us a bit about what you do? Or your topic of interest, were here, or just anything about yourself, really. What's your favorite ice cream uh, flavor?
3: My
2: favorite ice cream flavor is black raspberry chocolate chip from um from graters
0: Ooh, I don't know what that yeah. is. But that's delicious. It sounds delicious.
2: Like uh, Graders is an ice cream shop, like based in Ohio. And since I've moved out of Ohio, like I can't find it up here, where it's not like twelve dollars a pint. So okay. I don't
3: know. Um, I don't know about you, but that would still be worth it for me. <laughs>
2: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I guess you're right uh yeah so you
0: can't you're coming on the show to talk to us about I mean how do you summarize what you're going to school for
2: so uh, I'm going to school to be a certified mental health counselor um so basically a therapist and my called like special like I want to specialize in grief and trauma counseling
0: yeah so um Hallie knows Morgan um for a long time and uh, it's a very old story. I feel <laughs> ancient. <now>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we drinks the other day, or not the other day, but when we grabbed drinks, I was telling this my like one of my friends up here about it, and they're like, "Really? Like, that, is that not weird for you?" And I was like, "It was like, kind of weird because, like, when we met, like, I wasn't of drinking age, and now we're you know, sharing yeah. beers." So to
1: to to try to unweird that a little bit, hopefully, maybe I could do have a we do the job. Uh, I used to be a department manager at a small public library in Ohio. And Morgan, this is not nope, it's still weird. Morgan (laughs) went to high school across the street and actually became one of my teen volunteers. So she would come over and do some work, earn some volunteer hours like you have to do in high school sometimes um learned a little bit about the library along with her and along with some other folks um and then we've just kind of kept in touch on and off over the years and then I was like oh yeah I forgot she That's lives up here <laughs> yeah <laughs> she's
2: like what are you <laughs> doing moving That's up here was... <laughs> yeah <laughs> I made a message over like Twitter or something and you were literally like oh yeah by the way I moved to Michigan like three days ago yep. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah cool
4: <laughs> yeah you know Talk At hours. least you didn't, like, change her diapers or something, though, and then oh. now you're drinking with her and hanging out with her on the podcast. I
1: can't. So. I can't. I'm already feeling, like, a weird.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> or do you say that like you don't drink with your mom? I mean,
3: yeah.
4: I, mean, I don't drink with my mom. I drink with my dad. Same thing. <laughs> That's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Different. That's your parents, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Morgan and I met back up and I was asking her about like what she was doing and studying and that kind of thing and she had mentioned that it was grief and trauma specialization I was like well that's not highly relevant for us so let me just (laughs) go talk to my Canadian friends and see if we want to do this
0: yeah so yeah with Morgan's specialty obviously it's very relevant to the stuff we were talking about with Jen and um even like situations like with T.L. Swan and stuff like that is we see a lot of abusive relationship dynamics in cult environments. So it was like a great idea to bring her on to talk about what she's learning and uh, whatever else awesome stuff that comes up. I'm sure there will be lots of random things that will come (laughs) up.
1: We never veer in <laughs> ever. No, ever, no, ever 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 so. <laughs> every time someone also every time someone says teal swan's name my eye twitches i can just like i can feel it like uh, it's already twitching <laughs> i told you i had her come oh, no. up on my instagram right you can't yeah you did I, and i, I was... instantly went into like lockdown mode i was like nope and we're not doing this
0: yeah so uh where do we want to start with this mm. um, yeah.
2: yeah sorry i was just gonna no, say that can. i'm I'm not licensed. I'm like, I'm not a practicing professional. Right. I'm still, I'm still a student. So everything that I've learned or am I, br- I'm bringing is things I've learned in class or, you know, outside of my own and like books or published papers. I'm going to throw that disclaimer in there real quick before I forgot.
0: Anyone's taking our show as professional advice as a whole, even if we do bring professionals on, <laughs> that might be a mistake.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah that's a
1: mistake immediately. <laughs>
0: So, um, what got you interested in this, um, in this topic, if you don't mind talking about it?
2: Um, yeah. So trauma, especially, um, like I had a house fire when I was younger and, um, more or less like destroyed the house. So like that whole thing is obviously like traumatic in itself, but as you go through, um, like just the whole rebuild thing, not only like physically, but emotionally, um, you know, sometimes you need that outside help. So whenever I would go see someone or my mom would put me in like one-on-one therapy or counseling with someone else, it was always the same, like cookie cutter responses, like tell me how you're feeling. Or like, I hear that this makes you feel like X, Y, and Z here's some homework to do next week and then bring it back and we can chat about it or whatever. And it was just never, it was just never, never very helpful. And like mm-hmm. over the years I saw different people because different counselors, like I just didn't like, or we just didn't click or whatever like the rapport wasn't there so I didn't feel like I was making any kind of progress um besides that like I've had my own mental health struggles um and it's been it's been a chore to find someone who's like really really good and like someone who like I can make progress with I feel safe with that whole thing kind of like put me off counseling for a very long time and then with the pandemic um, just seeing like the entire world go through the exact same traumatic event, but seeing how each person is reacting to it differently based on how they grew up, their personality, their support system, and like where they are, um, like financially in life. Um, and everyone's got like these different outcomes, I think is really super cool. Um, so I actually went into counseling because like that whole the trauma response is super interesting to me. And then, um, I, it finally got into my head where it's like I hated counseling for so long because it didn't work for me because all these old white people are telling me how to how to be better but they're telling me how to be better and they're telling you know 12 different other people the same kind of advice which isn't working so if I want to go in and change that and prevent that from happening like I can't do that if I'm on the other side of the desk like I need to be behind the desk or you know in a big chair or whatever and like changing that myself so
0: Yes, yeah, so you wanted to be that counselor's therapist that you didn't have that you wanted growing up. Yeah,
2: exactly, right.
0: That's great. That's just a noble passion to have just because like, yeah, it is so important to have um, a therapist or counselor that actually you click with and understands and addresses your needs because otherwise you're just like paying a lot of money for nothing.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's frustrating too. But, um, and this, there's like this new wave of counseling that's going on and it's shifting the mindset from the therapist or the psychologist, whoever, um, who has gone to school and it's licensed, like it's not, it's not so much, they know everything anymore. It's now been flip-flopped. So the person that's coming in to seek counseling, they are now the expert. Like this new wave of counseling is doing, is just helping, helping guide them through, um, you know, whatever it is they're going through and giving them the tools that they need and the support that they need and, um, coping mechanisms and things like that but I'm not telling them, you know, you're wrong because you're not experiencing depression exactly like the DSM kind of thing. Like if you're, if you think you're experiencing depression, like talk to me about it. We can work through it. Like we'll figure something out.
0: That's great. Yeah. Cause like mental health is so complicated and like, yeah, the DSM is a broad range of common symptoms, but so often things don't fit in a cookie cutter form with, especially mental health.
1: Right. I am actually very curious, Morgan, how, cause it's funny, you're, you're talking about this and I actually, I know someone, um, in Europe who is kind of in the same vein, except she was specializing very much in like the queer community. And I wonder if okay. that's come up at all in your studies and like where that, if, if this new wave of counselors is also paying attention to that too, like, is there a, is there an, an alley of that that's going on in like modern therapy too?
2: Yeah. So that's a part that we, um, that's part of like our multicultural studies now um, is including the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and I've actually taken classes with the um, members of that community in not only multicultural, but ethics and a couple other courses. And it's been really neat to hear their first-hand experiences, positive or negative, and then, like, how they're going to go into counseling, because a lot of the LGBTQ plus people that are, at least in my, in my program, who are going for counseling or, um, going for just the, um, like, the clinical mental health or the school counseling, so, Mm -hmm. and they want to specialize in, um, treating youth who are, you know, questioning or, you know, have come to terms with not a social norm, Um, in terms of gender and whatnot. Um, So I think there's just been this huge opening up, tolerance isn't the right word, of like open-mindedness, I guess, um, because psychology is very much, traditional psychology and schools of thought are very much like middle-aged white men. So as we go through and we learn, um, it's just a lot of back and forth of like, this doesn't work so much anymore, so like, here are the new things, but like, this is what the old stuff has been founded on or what the new stuff has been founded on because the old stuff doesn't work so much anymore.
3: You
0: mean not all women had hysteria?
2: Yeah, right.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kind of, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is your uterus wandering around your body lately? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's really cool yeah, that's, no, that's i'm i'm so interested in that because it's it, as someone on the other side of 35 who grew up <laughs> in, in a very specific gender shut up <laughs> i'm old <laughs> okay, okay. <Damn> that. <laughs> i know right listen i'm closer to 40 than i am 30 that's how that works um <laughs> it's just true uh it it's i feel like <sighs> People my age who are who are starting to really understand, um, you know, where people are coming from with different backgrounds and stuff that we didn't fully have that grasp on as we were growing up. It's cool to see um, better understanding happening so that some of these kids can get the support that they need where it wasn't in place or it rarely was in place. Um, systematically for, you know, for us growing up. It's it's really, really neat to see just in, in you know, 10 years or so, this shift that's happened um, to help people take better care of their mental health, especially if they're already in a marginalized community because it's so huge.
3: I feel like that shift is going to sort of snowball yeah. and go faster. The more of our generation sort of starts fitting into these roles, yeah. like, our parents generation i mean they're going to die off right like yeah. and they're not going to be they're not it, their their ideals are not going to live on that's anymore that's
0: fair right not all boomers man no. not all boomers <laughs> yeah.
3: but definitely my boomers <laughs> definitely my boomers <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> But yeah no psychology has come a long way like if you remember when we talked about Theo, one of gen survivors when they first Started dealing with the fallout of Gen in 2005, the support was so limited, and it's only up until like the last five years that they felt comfortable actually talking about their entire experience to do with the fact that it was on the internet primarily, and of course, their struggles with their own gender, gender identity, and sexuality that was all wrapped up in that. So it's good to see that there's just a lot more people that are willing to look at the whole picture instead of just like following yeah like guidelines that are really outdated.
2: <laughs> yeah. One of the newer viewpoints too is not so much, you know, what's wrong with you. It's what happened to you. So it's more of that person first language. So it's not a depressed person. It's a person with depression. Mm-hmm. So it's not what's wrong with you. It's, you know, what happened to you that's put you in this spot right now. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. I think is just a total, uh, Total yeah. shift in, well, yeah, it's a shift in
4: blame because before yeah. when it was like, you know, oh, you're depressed, what are you? Why aren't you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps? But when you're talking about this has happened to you, you have depression, it, it's almost more being treated like a car accident, like you got hit by a car mm-hmm. and that car was called depression. And I think that changes the way that you react to having different mental health issues or dealing with your different traumas if you if it gets to be framed that way and instead of it feeling like oh I didn't try hard enough or yeah you know whatever
2: it's it's like this is a part of me but this isn't me Mm -hmm. it it doesn't have to define you
0: it's just a symptom of your life so far so um Hallie said that she kind of gave you a bit of the rundown on our gen Sega.
1: not in any good lineup or outline because my first reaction to whenever I try to tell people that story is you just have to walk down this path with me just to go with me on it for a second, because it's gonna sound like I made it up <laughs> yeah, it yeah. <laughs> I mean really
0: <laughs> yeah I don't know how much you have you got to dig into that but uh yeah what was uh your first opinions on that or Uh, impressions
2: (laughs) um so I don't know like a whole bunch about it I did listen to your your guys' first podcast about it and like read through whatever you had and it's just it's like wild like I don't don't know how else to put that and it's (laughs) like a lot of abusive relationships or like people who find themselves in that kind of situation it's very subtle and it's very small until it's not Mm -hmm. like it's like like you've got this acquaintance who has been losing a lot of weight, but you don't see them all the time. And so, you know, you see them day one and then you see them, you know, six months later, or whatever you're like, Oh my God, you look so good kind of thing. And it's um, cause like you can see the, you know, the, the starting point and the progress point. But if you're, you know, best friends with this person and you see them every day, you're not going to see those little uh, incremental changes until you look back on the old pictures so once you get to that point of like you know you're in too deep or you get out and you're reflecting on it and and you're like oh my god like how did I let myself get into this kind of thing and like you know hindsight's twenty twenty but you don't abuse for sure is like apparent to everyone except someone in that relationship mm-hmm. generally generally speaking if if there's if that curtain's already been pulled back then your friends and your family should be like hey like you know something's not right here you need a little bit of help this is what we're seeing
0: yeah what's your advice for people who are have loved ones that are in abuse relationships because obviously i mean you can't just like take them away or like tell them to leave because that's necessarily not to be productive
2: right, right. That, yeah it's not at all it's just like the little i mean you obviously can't be like hey this is what i'm saying like you know you're in a bad situation kind of thing because that person's initial reaction is going to be like, no, you're lying. Like they're perfect or, you know, whatever, like everything is fine. Like it's super defensive, but like, if I don't know, it's just little things like, Hey, like I notice that, you know, you hang out with your partner's friends a lot more than you hate, than your partner hangs out with us as a group or just like little, little things like that. Or like, Hey, I've been noticing, like, since you've gotten together with this person, you're not, you haven't seemed too much like yourself. Is there something going on or, you know things, things like that you can't get into attack mode otherwise they're gonna like shut down completely
0: yeah it's just got to plant the seeds and kind of get them thinking
2: about it right <laughs> yeah i was trying to think of like
4: how how to say that it's a hard a hard line to walk because really what you want to do is just want to grab people and shake them oh yeah,
2: yeah. yeah throw them like, in the
1: car
4: and drive
1: them yeah. far far
2: away yeah right and um in high school, actually, I was part of an abusive relationship and my parents were like, I'm lucky enough to have great parents and they were like super in tune with everything. And they pretty much grabbed and shook my shoulders. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, do you yeah. see this kind of thing? Um, which is nice, but it's, again, it's like those little things you don't, everything's great until it's not. And yeah. And then by then, like, it's too late. I don't say too late, that sounds ominous, but like, yeah. you stop? <laughs> <laughs> it's too late, yeah. get out. Hopefully run, it's not but, too late.
0: <laughs> right it's, it's never too late but yeah when you're down that far down the road it's a, it's a lot harder to come back yeah, yeah exactly all right when in your studies and stuff have you guys talked much about like these online relationships has like the internet scope of that come up yet or is it something that's even focused on yet with psychology
2: um as far as well we haven't discussed that in class um I haven't seen it pop up I haven't seen it I haven't read too many things about it or seen too many published papers about it. Um, so I don't really, like, I can't really speak on that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it's still a really new um, yeah. environment. And it's only something I think that recently has just begun to being taken seriously. It's because it's like the right. internet. I can't hurt you that far away.
1: yeah or it's haha isn't that funny that that person got catfished that's so hilarious that they got tricked into like we treat it as a joke and it's like no uh
4: why don't you just why don't you just block them it's something I hear a lot in like stalking cases where they're like oh it's on the internet why don't you just turn off the computer or oh like why don't you just not talk to them anymore and it's so much more than that because they have a grip on you they become your whole world like you can't just walk away
2: and it's not it's that but it's also like by saying you know just block them or like get off the computer or whatever that's very much like victim shaming like yeah right. it's not my fault that they're following me after work and like hanging out at my bar like yeah that should be on me why do I have to now change my schedule and change my social events because of this other person
0: yeah totally and that's kind of again, think it's a common reaction to stalking in general, not even just the internet. Just people are just like, well, just don't go there. <laughs> yeah, like, right. you Change jobs, move. <laughs> I'll stalk you. Why don't you just I'm go into witness protection? Thing
3: just go into witness protection.
4: I don't understand why you're making such a big deal about this. Except, he's only in your room
0: watching you sleep. It's fine. There's no like, there's no infrastructure to deal with that. Like, you, there you isn't. Who you go yeah. to if you're being stalked? Because yeah. Well, I can't do anything until something's been done. Usually. Yeah.
2: which I mean, is and there's endless, happens. endless uh, like murder cases of like young women who have been murdered by their stalkers. And when they dig into it, like they've made com- police complaints about it, but like nothing's done. Right.
4: Yeah. Well, and, the, and like, um, there's a really good podcast um, called simply stalking and they talk to stalking victims and it kind of like, like listening to it made me realize like I've been stalked. And I didn't think it was like, I was like, oh, I must just be overreacting. And we're trained to think that way, especially as, as women and like people who are, you know, femme identifying, mm-hmm. like we're, we're taught to think that like, oh, you're overreacting. They're just paying you a compliment. um Don't, don't make waves. It'll make things worse. And I think that can be really detrimental because like you know, we already have to carry like bear mace and tasers and hold our keys between our fingers when we're going places and be aware of our surroundings. Like, I mean, I've never gone on a walk with had like head fully on. You uh-huh. can't, right? You can't <laughs> oh. as a, as a, as a femme person, you cannot do that. Yeah. And, and we're blamed for that. We have to take so much of that on and it, it's, A kind of trauma if you think about it one of my friends was highlighting that like she she's never she had been avoiding connecting with nature because it felt unsafe and um as a first nations person like it was like hurting her at like that that organic level because like you couldn't you couldn't take part in your culture you couldn't appreciate part of your culture because you're uh, like one being a first nations woman a a high target and then two like what are you supposed to do and then like here in canada we can't have freaking mace which i learned so
0: i was was thinking about what you're just saying with the fact that you're like yeah i won't go anywhere with headphones on you know Mm -hmm. i carry mace and carry taser i can't do the keys between the fingers thing and it's like that hasn't been my experience and i was like i was wondering if that's just a thing between canada and the states just um obviously you know Maybe. we've all you know we even taught to be aware but I guess just in Canada we don't carry guns right so it's just like it's right. a different it's a, it's I guess it's just a different societal thing around it could be I don't know so much about that yeah because I'm, I'm a new Canadian so <laughs> when you were also living like yeah you know, in and around Seattle with but like those
4: are like, things that were ingrained in me as a you know, small child fair. too like I don't know about the rest of you but like for me, like the, the keys between my fingers thing I learned before I had house keys or car keys. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. Right. Um, yep.
2: when I moved, uh, out of state for school, my dad bought me, bought me mace and was like, and then mm-hmm. like went through like the bullet points. Cause he, he's a, he's a special agent. So he knows yeah. like, he does all the bad stuff. So it like, you know, look out for X, Y, and Z. You need to do this. Like, you go to a restaurant like sit so you can see the door and it's just you know, my brother I mean my brother got that talk because of like who my dad is but like yeah. I know my male friends didn't never got that talk. Yeah no and they never got the like hey leave the you know leave the young woman alone at night like walk on the other side of the street or you know whatever but
3: yeah I like we at the university where I work there's they have like the security call towers basically you just hit a mm-hmm. button and it connects you to security right away but like there was a whole slew of attacks a couple of years ago on on campus and like they were some of them were right there like, yeah. and you don't you just don't have the time and like
0: mm-hmm.
3: I'm super conscious of the fact that like I don't fucking know what it's like to be a woman walking out in the middle of the night but if I'm out walking and I'm turned the corner and there's someone like right there and I know they're going the same direction with me, I'm just gonna like stop for about three or four minutes and let them get most of the block away. So that you like, don't feel I, like you're following wanna, them. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't like I feel weird about that, like having you know, suddenly run into somebody like that and walking that close. Um <laughs> And I also sort of like keep this, I don't know how to explain it, but I feel like if I am far enough away and off to the side where they can keep me in their peripherals, then they're in a safer place, I guess. They feel they safer. Know, they feel safer, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it, I don't know. Like maybe just being aware of the fact that what you guys have to go through it kind of it makes me take those steps, but like I don't have to take those precautions myself. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We may not carry Mason stuff here, um, but we're definitely taught a lot of the same survival stuff, but be like, yeah, following you, you know, and don't, you know, you know, walk on the wrong, on the opposite side of the street and only cross when you're about your house, that kind of stuff. So we definitely have that ingrained in our culture. And like, I, yeah, if I'm like, downtown at night like for sure constantly watching and like even like transit can be scary sometimes uh-huh. it's good times
3: <laughs> transit's <laughs> just scary in general though
0: like <laughs> and our transit's pretty safe but yeah it can be depending on which fruits you're on <laughs> <laughs> So I think
1: I still, days. I still do that thing. The very first thing when I get in my car is to lock the doors. I yep. don't give a shit where I'm at. It's oh new, it's automatic. And I didn't do it the other day when I was at training. And I'm like, it's just me and the trainer here. And she's a 50 something woman. Like she sees me sweat for an hour. Like I'm not worried about her, <laughs> but I also realize I'm a little bit out in the middle of, okay, yeah, I'm just going to lock the door. And it was the first yeah. time in years that I haven't done that. And I went, oh, what happened? What yeah.
4: I, <laughs> I can't believe I just did that. Check the back seat to make sure no one's in it when you're walking up done to the car, look underneath the Constantly. car as you're approaching your yep. car to make sure that there's no one underneath it. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. My favorite is when people will put like the fake flyers in your windshield, but like just no. out, out of sight where you can't see it when you walk into your car. Like up to your car. So you get in, you start your car, or like you get in, you unlock yeah. your car, and then you see like the little thing. And then when you put, come out, like you don't, if you're going to grab something, it's like arm reach, you're not going to shut your door and lock it and then you get back in. And that's when they grab you or they take your car, or, you know, whatever else. Yep.
4: Wow. I don't, yeah. I don't, if I don't pick it up when I get into the car, like as when I first see it, if I don't grab it as I'm getting in, it stays on my windshield until I get home. And if it flies away, I wasn't meant to see it. (laughs) (laughs) The one time littering
1: is appropriate.
4: Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, it's paper. It's biodegradable. It'll break down. Yeah,
1: it's fine.
0: (laughs) But yeah, circling back around the show that Courtney recommended, Strictly Stalking, is great. Um, You have experience of stalking, maybe traumatizing. Yeah. Yeah. Give you that warning but the show is really good and it really gives you a lot of perspective of one the flaws yeah. and gaps in our our legal system in regards to this stuff and also just how common it is and and, and how like society doesn't doesn't care like i i was in an abusive relationship for five years and um after i left my ex stalked me for about two years mm-hmm. and i remember like i called some our our city actually has a cyber crimes department oh. and i actually spoke to a detective because he, he was Emailing me, he was using every possible instant messaging platform, um, sending stuff to my work, all sorts of shit. It was great. Um, and so, yeah, I talked to the guy in the cyber crimes department. So, like, oh, okay, yeah, well, you know, we can't really do anything if he hasn't done anything. <laughs> but uh, if you want, you can like collect everything that he's done and like get a, a, a peace bond, which is essentially mm-hmm. like a short, is like a temporary restraining order. <laughs> That's what mm-hmm. it is. Okay oh, cool, I've got to go through all this shit and retraumatize myself, build up his whole case to then bring him to court so that, you know, he cannot be around me. And yeah. that's only like a year usually. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, fuck this.
4: <laughs> I used my mom because uh, I had a similar experience. My ex-boyfriend was stalking me and he was trying to get my new address. So he, he had said he wanted to show up at my door. I told him to quit contacting me. He asked me for my address again. I forwarded it to my mom. And my mom went off on him and she's <laughs> like, if you want to talk to her, you can talk to me. If you want to send her something, you can send it to my house. If you want to, if you w- have anything that you need to say, it can go through me. Otherwise you need to fuck off or we're going to call the police. I love my mom for that. <laughs> so if anyone needs to borrow an attack, mom, <laughs> she's Italian. She'll make threats uh, allegedly. And um it'll be fine. Don't worry you, about if it. If you end
3: up with broken knees, it probably wasn't her.
4: <laughs> or it yeah. was. My dad would never be involved. We don't know where <laughs> good glacier crags are ever. Um...
2: Uh, so last is big. Yeah.
4: <laughs> oh my god! It's not like my sister and I are true crime fans or anything, or we don't. I didn't study forensics for several years. No. <laughs> Anyway,
1: <laughs> I I am curious actually um, between the Kayla the Jen thing was there there were a couple of things that you wanted to ask Morgan about right just about like obviously we're not going to ask you Morgan to profile someone you've never met because I know you can't <laughs> do that you can't that's just super irresponsible and unethical yep. but right. there there is a because all of us have you know interest in in cults and these people who we were talking about how like. There's a thing now, that, like you can identify it as a micro cult, right? Like the uh, Sherry Shiner or whatever her name was. <laughs> uh, Shiner. Yeah. Shiner. There we go. That was Jerry it. Like, these people who attract five, ten people. You know, the, the, like tiny d- groups of people that they have such a an incredible, like overlord hold on, and. Mm. And we always we always listen to this stuff, or we watch this stuff. We've got oh, those people. They they clearly had a deficiency. They were weak. They were needy. They were broken. <laughs> I would never fall to someone who's a master manipulator. I would never do. I any would of never this. believe
0: that I'm a video game character. <laughs> Lord have <Yeah>. mercy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, right, but, right. But it is it is terribly, terribly common. And I don't, I don't know if, if anything like that is covered in your studies or if there's discussion of just how fallible our brains are to suggestion and people who present as powerful. So I'm just curious, like, and you've, Feel free to ramble because clearly we do. Uh, so any anything That's there, anything there is, is of
2: sound good. <laughs>
1: <yeah>. <laughs> I think anything there is of interest to, to all of us because we've mm-hmm. all kind of hovered around those spaces. Um, and, and you know, all of us have experienced um, deep set trauma in one way or another that at least for I think the four of us we've pulled ourselves out of it and then we stare at that situation or similar situations and we go, I wonder how that happened. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> what is going on there that you know that made this that made this go on.
3: What's right. going on with this person that makes everyone so attracted to them?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They'll spawn as I start to twitch.
2: <laughs> so you want to know Why we're attracted to those kinds of people, or like, yeah, yeah, or how, like, how we get stuck in situations with those kinds of people.
1: We'll say all of the above, anything you would like to expound on.
2: So, I know one of the questions Kayla or I had gotten from Hallie about Kayla, one like one of her questions was how abusers break down uh, the more independent and assertive people. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's like not like this answer isn't going to be what you expected but like those kinds of people are targeted because they're independent and because they have big goals and because they have more to lose i Mm. guess so that's like kind of attractive but like a majority of like those kinds of victims have the lofty goals and they're idealistic um so like the the abusers or you know the powerful people um they really start like huge like big overview like basically they start by like belittling your um self-esteem and then you, they like pick at your per- per- perfectionist tendencies so like you have these generally speaking you have these big goals and you have these big aspirations and life plans and whatever because you've you're making sure you check all your boxes dot all your i's cross your t's or whatever so you're um as like, like an overachiever just yeah just yeah so um so, like, hard work is kind of, like, ingrained in those people, and it's sometimes that comes with, like, a people pleaser aspect. So, when you have someone who is, like, constantly, like, bringing you down, just, like, little by little by little, you're, like, oh, they don't like me, but I'm great, so, like, I want them to like me, too. Um, so, you end up, like, trying to work super hard to, you know, live up to these, the, the, the abusers' um, standards and expectations, even though... The abuser more more often than not is like lazy and unmotivated and dishonest.
0: Yeah. And these impossible expectations that you just keep raising that bar from her. Right. And you and you just keep blaming yourself that you're not meeting that. They go i just if just if I'm just better. <laughs> they'll they'll uh me. they'll be invested in me. They'll believe that I can do this.
2: Right. Nothing ever starts out as like an abusive relationship well that's I don't want to say anything but like a majority of them never start out like you never are like we you you know you wake up one morning like I think I'm in an abusive relationship kind of thing it's always something you find yourself in later (laughs) and a lot of it starts with like loving or loving uh love bombing and like um like absolute idealization of you and kind of like matching your personalities. So like, you have the same kind of goals and aspirations, your same, the same dreams, same kind of insecurities. So like, they almost make you feel like you're in not, not necessarily like a romantic relationship. Um, but like you guys are soulmates on, you know, one level or another. So you're like, Oh my God, I found this person who's absolutely, um, you know, they get me like someone finally gets me. um, and from there like you know everything's like sunshine sh- sunshine and rainbows and like then you're like okay and you're in deep enough where you know you feel like you know each other pretty well um and then it kind of gets into like the indirect persuasion of things like trying to um change you and your attitudes and your thoughts a uh, little by little mostly by taking jabs at their exes like usually if you meet someone who has like a list of crazy exes like Mm -hmm. oh my ex was not she did x y and z and this one she did something else like that's a huge that's that's a big red flag because if you think about it like how do you have half a dozen x crazy exes like either you are
0: one common denominator (laughs)
2: right no yeah yeah, so it's like you're either specifically seeking out these types of people or like there's or it's or it's you like it's a you problem kind of thing Mm So it's always like, you know, you know, my ex always had to talk on the phone. Like, I'm so glad you never talk on the phone or like my ex always nags me about like, you know, putting my shoes away or vacuuming or, you know, wearing a button up or whatever. Like, I'm glad that, you know, you don't act that way kind of thing. Um, and they're not, they sound like compliments, but they're not compliments because they're, it's more like they're setting their, the expectation for you. Don't call mm-hmm. me on the phone. Don't bitch about me, about my shoes. Like. I'm not going to clean my house before you come over. And it's, they leave it as kind of like, don't do this or else. Like, it's kind of like an unspoken, like, soft threat.
0: Yeah. And I never um, clicked with that before, but that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And like, even just thinking of Jen, like all the time, she was constantly referencing her exes as a way to manipulate people and like make them feel inadequate. So Yeah.
2: Yeah, especially like in these new relationships too, where it's like I want to put my best foot forward because, like, you know, I really like this person. I want to see where it goes. I'm not gonna do anything if they tell me that like this upsets them. I'm gonna purposely not do it. Yeah, because I don't want to be another one of the crazy exes. I see like light bulbs going off, and I will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just caught up because I
4: didn't. I didn't. Uh, I wasn't part of the Marley episode from uh, Friday, but I listened and like. thinking about like jen jen talking about her exes and how terrible they were and then like jen slowly turning that into but my ex was able to satisfy me and you can you need to start to change and i was like oh shit (laughs) (laughs) and then also like it's funny because like um when we when we think about like because i i tend to love bomb people but not in like a, a purposefully manipulative way i do it because i Like, I don't know how to tell people I like them unless I'm doing stuff like that for them. (laughs) So, like, I always feel kind of bad when I hear it. I'm, like, love bombing. I'm, like, I know I do that. But uh, I promise I'm not trying to manipulate anyone.
0: (laughs) Well, it's It's like a lot of individual behaviors aren't necessarily bad. It's just kind of the Mm intention and how they're used, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just every time I hear it, I'm, like, fuck. (laughs) Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with telling your current or current partner, like, yeah, my ex did this, and it really sucked. There's nothing wrong right. with that. But it's, it's, you're using that constantly to manipulate the behavior. That's a, it's a different thing.
4: Yeah. But but that can also be hard when you're on the other side of it, too. When you have someone who's doing a bunch of really wonderful things for you, and, like, let's say you're just, like, really into psych, or you're, you're into the true crime community, and you're like, this is love bombing," and this should maybe be a red flag, but maybe it's not a red flag. It makes it really hard to navigate.
0: Yeah, for sure. I and mean, this stuff is rarely black and white, though, too. So right. it's, yeah, it's a lot about context and intention. How often do we, do you see, because you mentioned a lot of people will use their exes a lot as kind of a manipulation to How often do you see people using like family in the same way? It's oh, my mom did this and my dad did this. Or like using their family as like, oh, my family treated me so horribly. Like, you should take pity on me, kind of thing.
2: Um, A lot. Um, that's the, that's what my ex used a lot was he had, you know, he definitely had his own set of issues, but if you're going to use your set of issues to justify your shitty behavior, like to me, that's not okay. Um, cause it's like, okay, great. You've gone through this awful, awful time in your life. I want to see some growth. If you're, you know, if you're still at the starting line, you're just 12 years older. Like, I I don't want that because you still To me, that tells me that you don't have the emotional capacity to work through things. So Mm -hmm. when we hit a crossroads or if we get into a fight or whatever, I don't know how you're going to handle that because Mm -hmm. if this is how you're acting now about something that's now irrelevant, like what's going to happen when things come to a head sooner rather than later. For sure. Definitely feel for people in those horrible situations, but especially like when it happens in childhood, but like you can feel bad for the kid but like I don't feel I don't always feel bad for the adults because again like growth Mm -hmm. and learning and you know resetting yourself like that's that's huge
0: yeah and I think I'm thinking about the people that I know in my life that have had you know traumatic childhoods or issues with their families and stuff um you know as adults it doesn't define them Mm -hmm. some people obviously have kind of dealt with their shit um so like is it but yeah, generally if that's happened to you, you're like, okay, I've moved on, I've continued to grow, I'm carrying on. This doesn't define me. Whereas like we think of people abusers like Jen and stuff, that they constantly use that as a weapon and keep bringing it back. They're not moving past it, like you said, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, did
1: that, Taylor, did that ever come up with Jen? I'm not my memory is not great there. Uh in general, it's not. But did Jen ever <laughs> <laughs> did did Jen ever um jennifer fire any lobs like that like oh you know my family did this to me i'm just not remembering
0: yes um yes definitely so obviously she has a, a one thing to be upset with their parents about for sending her to that reform school like legit you have that's some, right that's you legit. have rights to be upset about yeah. that to be fair they didn't understand that that's what it was they they helped her get out so when they once they realized that they took her out of it that's, that's one thing but um, from everything we know the people who I've talked to people who've met her mom talked to people who've been around with her relationships with their parents early on and that it's a very loving relationship it sounds like her mom is like the sweetest woman in the entire world that just wants the best for her daughter but you know when you move across the country there's no one around anymore that knows what your relationship is like with your parents so it's really easy to then make them the bad guys which is what Jen did right. she's like going on but yeah my parents were abusive they beat me this that and the other thing whatever she thought would um make the person that she's talking with empathize with her so that person has said that oh my parents beat me she's be like oh yeah so did mine totally did <laughs> yeah
2: so is that like so, trauma
0: yeah. bonding then you know yeah I guess so it'd be a way of doing that trauma bond
4: like even if it because I know that when we're you were talking on the Marley Episode that, like, uh, it tended to start at least when she heard other people doing it. So I was wondering if that was like a common manipulation tactic yeah. that n- maybe not even just Jen uses, but other people used in order to like bond with someone in order to manipulate them.
2: So it's not specific to like abusive relationships. Um, but yeah, that's also a big thing. And that's kind of that's like what I have next to my notes is like, So you have the love bombing, and then you have the the setting of the expectations, and then they start to test you. So then they do uh, like the backhanded compliments. Then it's like the insults, you know, followed by the flattery, and it's you know you feel down, and then you feel great because when things are great with this person, then like everything everything is perfect, like your world is perfect, and it's 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 almost like a test. So, like, if I can insult you and then in the next conversation we have, um, or if I can flatter you and then insult you and then you won't fight back against that because that high you get from me from when things are so good is enough to to put up with these insults and these little, like, microaggressions, Mm -hmm. then I've got you. Then I know, like, now I can start escalating. Now I can start, you know, really kind of taking control because... Now that you have, now that you have shown me that this doesn't, not that it doesn't bother you, but, like, you're willing to put up with it for my good days or, like, when things are great, then, like, my job is basically done. Like, I'm ready to jump in.
1: Like, they've primed you. Yeah. Yeah. For more. Yeah. Primed you. When you say insult, I mean... I'm assuming that it's 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 person to person how this works, because for some people, if the the person that they're attached to or getting attached to would come at them with a hey, by the way, you're a giant asshole, stupid. Some people would turn the other way and be like, what the hell is wrong with you? What Mm -hmm. do you mean? And then sometimes I feel like it would probably be much more subtle. Right. It it would be
0: kind of primed. uh, I'm thinking like uh, nagging that thing that people yeah. do. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Uh, that's the hardest thing is what I'm thinking of.
2: Um, I guess like a simple example would be like, you know, we're going out to dinner. Don't wear your blue dress because I like the way your red dress looks better on you. So now your hair. Not like, yeah, or like it looks you so much have, better
4: with long yeah. hair. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. Why did you cut your hair? I liked it when it was long. Or like, why are you wearing the red lipstick? The pink lipstick was fine, kind of thing.
0: Gotcha. Little small things.
2: It's so <laughs> it's so subtle.
4: It's so insidious. Would I had an actually oh. do that, and then he would change. So he would be like, "Why are you wearing like?" It was a lipstick too. He would be like, "Why are you wearing that one? You should be wearing this one." And then I would wear this one. He's like, "Well, why are you changing now? We're late."
2: Yeah, it's it's things like that, and now it's like. <laughs> I'm not gonna wear the blue dress anymore, or I'm not gonna wear that black or that specific kind of lipstick anymore. Yeah. So it's again changing your 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 behaviors.
1: Right. You fit you. Yeah. Fit them. Yeah. Yeesh.
2: Because like after once they're like okay, got them, then they move on to the next like phase of like identity erosion. So now everything that. The abuser and the victim have had have have had in common. The abuser's like, nope, I lied. Your dreams are stupid. Your your hopes are dumb, and like I don't know why you keep going for this. You're not good any. You're not you know, good at it, and like whatever you do deserves criticism.
0: And so is this the kind to kind of, of like make their victims like not want to achieve more and to like look outside yeah, of it? Their-
2: like if they continue, because if this abuser and I'm being like to like absolutely simplify this if the abuser is like doing absolutely nothing is working like a dead-end job and like has no dreams or aspirations or whatever then how does that look if their partner or their victim you know has those big dreams and aspirations if i'm if the if the abuser is supposed to be in charge mm-hmm. you know so right. I don't want you I don't want you to achieve those great things because I'm the greatest thing you're ever gonna have yeah so now it's kind of switched from uh, dependence and um, complaints to more of they're trying. The abusers now is trying to create um, desperation and desire, so the victim is like, "I want you know." Now that you said my dreams are stupid, like, what else am I going to do other than please you, kind of thing?
0: Yeah, it makes me think because um, I'm thinking of like a couple cases I can think of in my my mind for abusers is that they are they're usually obviously underachievers and where that like they're not doing much if they even have a job or whatever is that common for abusers like do we ever see like high achieving abusers like or how common is that
2: i don't know for sure um, i know personally like the relationship the abusive relationships that i've been in they have been underachievers um, my guess my best guess would be people who are high, higher achievers use more, um, manipulation in like money and things and objects, um, to kind of help someone in a, at a lower, um, socioeconomic status. And mm-hmm. now, you know, that, that person is now super like hyper dependent on this person for whatever it is they need
4: maybe think of um nexium because that guy because i just Ooh. listened to a, a, a deep dive on him on behind the bastards because all i do is listen to podcasts that um, one was good yeah so like he wasn't he wasn't an overachiever but he thought he was and would yes. like over inflate his importance right and then use that to create a pyramid scheme and mlms are another kind of abuse and cult and and use that function to like draw more people in and feel like oh if i can get this sash uh i can be special too and and you know kind of dangled it in front of them and manipulated them in that way and then it becomes like a sunk cost fallacy right like i've already put so much time i've already put so much effort i've already put so much money it, or you know, like it's been years. I need to keep going, and it'll turn around. I can change him. I can fix this.
0: <laughs> There's no need to actually, you know, do things of being an achiever if people just think that you
4: are. <laughs> I yeah, won thanks. a judo competition when I was 12. That no one can prove.
0: <laughs> I uh, have a really high IQ from a test that doesn't really mean anything.
4: <laughs> that was also fake. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the number goes up every
0: time. Guys, is a good guy. I mean. Uh, (laughs) does there seem to be like a long-term goal with most abusive relationships like is there like a plateau at some point or do the abusers um, just keep trying to bring people down
2: like I mean they're gonna try as long as possible as long as they're able to get away with it but when they see that like their victim is starting to pull away and kind of realize like oh my god I don't think this is good for me they start with with like the disinterest in the cold shoulder and things like that so it's like manufacturing emotions almost so the victim is like you know I kind of you know I kind of think I'm in a bad situation but you know he's pulling out these sob stories and he you know he's been kind of distant or he I'm using he but like they're um they're feeling dis or they're being distant or whatever so it's like now it's at the point where it's like, well, did I do something wrong? And did I do something to upset them? And kind of like that way. But another like uh common thing is like, if the abuser is seeing that disinterest, they'll start bringing up exes like, Oh, I talked to, you know, my crazy ex the other day, but it's now not their crazy ex. It's their good friend <laughs> or, um, they go and they move on to someone else and try to keep getting or like put their effort into someone else. So now there's like this jealousy factor playing out. Um, and it's never, I mean, it's never going to be enough for them. So once they do see, or once the victim does get out, there's always somebody else for them. They're not going to, they're not going to stop. They're just going to move on to the next thing because the loss of their victim doesn't mean anything to them because they didn't care about them in the first place because they've gotten away with it once, twice, you know, a dozen times. Like now I'm really good at it. Now I'm going to see if I can, you know, get someone bigger and better kind of thing.
0: So they just kind of use people until that is boring, that person's then boring to them and then they move on to the next person. Is that typically the cycle that we see?
2: From what I've read, yeah, that seems to be common.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's definitely something we see with Jen. Interesting.
3: As soon as that like uh, jealousy guilt (laughs) combination doesn't work out, it seems to just all right. Well, I guess I've lost that one for now. Way we go! Yeah,
4: new fandom. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sorry. Oh, I said new fandom because Jen Jen swaps fandoms (laughs) in her crazy. (laughs) Oh fuck! I wasn't ready, Courtney. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, I am taking blood type surveys to see who may or may not be good matches so just kidding
3: <laughs> you mean so you, didn't, you didn't marry jake for his blood type what i don't know wrong what his with blood you? type
0: is i don't is. even know what my blood type is <laughs> i don't
3: know I, I
4: have it from the the blood bank because i gave blood in high school before mm-hmm. i got sick uh so i know what it is because it's on the card because otherwise i wouldn't remember it Cause all, and then also, you know, when you're in high school, you do like the Pundit square blood type thing, and and then like, they always tell you their stories of people finding out they were adopted or like the milkman's kid. And I was like, <laughs> I wonder. I'm not. My parents are wonderful. <laughs> I love. I never did anything, but like, like you know, you always are like, I wonder. Do I get to have the drama? Am I the drama?
0: Being a drama. Where did
4: uh, where did that go? Okay, <laughs> it's fine.
1: Don't
2: worry about
0: it. <laughs> With um abusers I like, love
2: this. To that on a T shirt, like, am I the drama? <laughs> am I the drama? That's good. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the next one in the hex store. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I went
2: twelve.
0: <laughs> um, with most abusers, is there kind of a common origin story that we see?
2: Not that I can really think of off the top of my head. I mean, it's a lot of like, you know, people who just can't achieve, like, can't. You know they had a shitty childhood and they didn't get much attention or they just you know whatever for whatever reason like that power differential is like what they're seeking
0: so Um, like more often than not are we seeing people who had like childhood trauma then become abusers
2: yes and no i mean not everyone who was hit as a kid ends up hitting their children kind of thing Mm -hmm. um but it can definitely play a factor especially if you're raised in a home where you're not shown healthy love and you mm-hmm. don't know what a healthy relationship looks like and, and and that can go on both sides of the victim and the abuser um if you know a victim is raised in a household without love and without care and attention then like that's all they know so when they go and they seek out i don't want to say they seek it out but they get stuck in these relationships because that's all they know they don't know any better they don't know this is bad and they
0: it's a comfortable it
2: yeah right
0: right but this is normal <laughs>
2: this is home um, yeah basically yeah, <laughs> yeah um, it's not like the serial
1: killer checklist where it's like head trauma sexual abuse as a child what's uh, the bed
2: uh, what's the bed
1: yeah it hurts animals like yeah you like start to go down that list that that has largely been pinpointed as like you know, maybe if you start checking all these boxes uh,
2: although i think
4: that triad has been disproven
2: it has been disproven. yeah yeah
0: that makes sense yeah but yeah
2: i'm just curious though, what kind
0: of people tend to turn group users like if there's any sort of pattern that we can get but like it doesn't sound like there really is it's just
2: it's just kind of like i mean just from my personal experiences it's just like people who didn't like my most most recent one like i've had two and a half one wasn't like real <laughs> but like um like, I don't, I don't it's it, a fake use of I'm, relationship. No, I know what you mean. <laughs> <But> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it was just people who just, like, I don't say they can't hack it, but, like, the last one that I was in, like, this dude was just, like, textbook loser. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And he had, like, failed so many things and was, like, kind of stuck in life. He didn't go to school. And it's just kind of, like... I need somebody to kind of up my social status. Yeah, You know, I need, I need friends, but I'm not going to go out and make my own. So I'm going to leech onto somebody else and have them, you know, kind of experience through them. But I'm also going to throw an entire fit, you know, day after day after day, if you're hanging out with your friends and you're not hanging out with me.
0: Yeah. um, I think you just described my ex. So, (laughs) (laughs) And Jen, really yeah 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 so yeah it's uh there's a common dynamic it seems to be losers <laughs> if they are losers then yeah
2: and it's not even, it's not like you know the high school oh my god he's such a loser but like i don't even know like a loser like i don't know yeah <laughs> well that. like like
4: because like, one of my abuser was my, my first real abuser was like had high high expectations from his family
2: mm-hmm
4: and wasn't meeting those uh, for whatever reason. I I think it was was out of pure laziness because he had a lot handed to him as a child up until he became an adult. Um, and then, but like, could pull off the I'm a cool guy with all these like achievements and like this great family. And then, and then when he wasn't able to meet those things or things didn't go his way, that's when when the abuse kind of like ramped up and like he became more of a mon- like the monster came out like the mask came off it's like reality
0: reality contradicted the image he was putting up
4: yeah like then you were like oh like you're a piece of shit and you're sitting on my couch while I'm paying rent working full-time going to school full-time and you can't you're you've been lying to me about going to class but you've got to tell mommy and daddy that you're doing great yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah <Yep. laughs> <laughs> kill your face you're like yeah yeah, I'm, I'm let's like, at- <laughs> get off my couch
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually curious for those of you who have been in abusive relationships what the fallout has been for you once you get out
0: in what regard like our social environment or like our personal like mental health or what
2: um, a little bit of both okay. because especially with like emotional and um, mental abuse. I mean, you hit somebody; they've got a black eye, but you can't see—you can't yeah. see how words work for lack of a better term. So, I just want to, because yeah. there is a common theme among people who get out and their reactions from friends and family. And I want to see what, like, I'd be curious to hear from you guys before I go into my stuff.
0: For sure okay well I was in my relationship for five years um and yeah I was emotionally and mental abusive so there was no physical abuse um and yeah when I like just one day I woke up and I was like oh it was like after I got my um ADHD diagnosis and I was on medication because that was I was like oh I can actually remember that you're treating me like shit now. <laughs> um so yeah I got out and I, thankfully I had some really awesome friends that allowed me to like pretty much move in on a day's notice. So that was good. <laughs> but mm-hmm. For, like, the next year and a half, I definitely was not my best self. Um, I made a lot of poor decisions. Um, Like, for me, poor decisions are so pretty fucking tame. But, like, you know, I was drinking more than I should have been and, you know, engaging in relationships that I shouldn't have. Um, And there's, like, just constant stuff. Like, almost, like, every other day there was something I was like, wait a second, is this actually my thought or is this what I've been conditioned to think? And it's just, like, even still, every once in a while, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> that's where that comes from. And then as for the social part, like, no one had any idea at all. Like, not even my best friend had any clue. And when I first told her that I was thinking about leaving because of the situation, she's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, you know, he does all this stuff. And I started explaining it to her. and She's like, I had no idea. Because like, once you pointed out, like, I get, I see where the, you know, the flaws were. But up until that point no one had any clue and like someone that had been well so she was my hairdresser and she was she was the sister to her the sister to his sister-in-law no cousin to the sister-in-law whatever they were like they were related like long distance but not really even close really um she like messaged me when I posted on Facebook that I that, we, that I left him you know this was my choice blah blah PM me if you've got questions and I didn't say anything about, about you know the situation being abusive but she reached out to me and she's like I don't think you're being fair you know um, you did all these yeah. things and you're hurting you shouldn't be talking about this I'm like excuse me I think I'm going to burn <laughs> your house sir but um, <laughs> yeah like you know and just because like whoever he got to first um, they all kind of had that same reaction which is why I'm so fucking happy the day that I decided to leave because I did it while he was at work I wouldn't talk to his mom first. <laughs> they I went to her office and I'm like, okay, I'm leaving. This is why. And she's like, I'm sorry, but I understand. She's like, I'm sorry, I understand, I understand kind of thing, right? So I'm glad that I got to talk to her before he did. Cause yeah, whoever he talked, to, whoever got to talk, talk to first would then, you know, take on whatever his perspective was or my perspective was. And like he tried to get in contact with all my friends and tried to befriend them and like oh, yeah. hang out with them yeah it was weird yeah so that was my truth you
2: have to lose everything else
4: um for me uh I was actually in a different state than him he had um like kind of what had kicked it off was like he went to he got accepted to a school I couldn't go because of my medical condition like I couldn't afford insurance thank god Um, my RA, as much as it is a pain in the ass has saved my ass from bad relationships. So many times I'm so grateful for it in a weird way. (laughs) Um, but, um, he had cheated on me with an 18 year old. We were in our late twenties and yeah. And so like, yeah. And then like, he was manipulating both of us. He had been telling, told her that we had broken up. He told me she was just a friend. Um, but he still managed to like convince me not to tell anybody after I found out um, and to still go on the family trip for Christmas where well, I had no support system because it was his sisters, his mom, his dad, his family and controlled me and then had actually convinced me to move to Mississippi and just be there Um Afterward, and then thankfully had like changed his mind and like sent me away. So we broke up and got back together like twice before I finally like cut it off. And everyone in my family, like he didn't have friends with my friends really. Like we had like one mutual friend that had kind of introduced us, and he has remained on my side as far as I know. Like I don't know that he knows the extent of everything that no, he knows the extent of everything that went on, and he was on my side, um, and supported me and and is like had interacted with him outside of that afterward but like not of his own choice like they were in a wedding party together um but like the mental and the 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 emotional and the financial abuse like he he was still trying to manipulate me into getting back together afterward and it like thankfully I had been away from it long enough that being back physically in the same space as him like felt like like wrong like yeah I felt like I was with a, around a monster and I wanted nothing to do with him but like everyone in my family and friends were really glad and then I had actually um that was the same year I moved away to Washington so then I was able to kind of use that as a way to um hide <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just kind of like hidden from it but like afterward I realized like a lot of things like he used to be mad at me when I was sick um like if mm-hmm. I was, if I was having a flare and couldn't go out, he would be mad at me. Well, we plan this. Well, I can't control what my body decides to do. And, um, and like, I still catch myself doing stuff and I'll tell Jake, like, you're not mad at me for this, are you? And he'll be like, why would it be mad? Because you're flaring. Why would it be mad? Because you need help or like, it's not a burden for me to open a jar for you. And it, it still kind of like hits me like, and it's been five years since I left him mm-hmm. and it's still like really big and hard to deal with. And like, some of it is like, I only just realized like in the last two, three years that it was abusive and, and that he was actually stalking me afterward.
0: So like, it's a weird thing to come to realize and feel about. <laughs> that just made me think about one thing. Um, Cause when I left him, I left him like a letter and stuff. And like, we talked like, once or something, shortly after he went down, I was like, "Okay, but it's like not like I ever cheated on you."
4: Yeah, <laughs> right. Oh, I I was alone, and you didn't come to Mississippi with me. This is your fault.
2: It's always the victim's fault. Always.
4: Yes. yeah. Yeah. And he even got like so his his brother knew about the whole situation and and stuff, and the whole family turned against me. I used to be like really close with his sisters, and got along great with his brother, and his parents loved me. Um, We had been talking about getting married prior to all of this, and then, like, as soon as I was, like, kind of, I had decided to kind of back out, I was the the bad guy for leading him on, and I was the bad guy for not trying harder. (laughs)
0: Yeah, 100%.
4: And for, like, an, like I'm an, an overachiever, I'm a perfectionist, to hear that for me to give up on something is really hard, and for me to hear that, like, I didn't try hard enough is terrible, and, and like, that was not the case, and it's been really hard to kind of, like, undo that self-talk in the background.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the hardest part about healing is the unlearning, because you never stop unlearning. Mm-mm. You always no. got to catch yourself. But that seems to be, your stories are, I mean, they're common. Like, yeah. it's always you know, I'm a, you know, the abuser is upset for the victim leaving. So not only am I going to show you that not only, are you going to be upset that you lost me? Well, now I'm going to get to all your friends first. I'm going to get to your family first and I'm going to tell my story and I'm going to twist it. So it makes me look good. And now you're the bad guy and now you're going to lose all these friends.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. For
0: sure.
4: Yeah. I was really lucky that like my friends knew in the background what, like that there was no way that I was the bad guy in the situation, like they're just those kinds of people that know me and would stick by me no matter what. Um, But yeah, like if if it was a different situation, if we had more mutual friends instead of like friends that were mine and then his or his and then mine, like his friends don't like me. Not that he has many of them, but they don't (laughs) like me, you know, and even some of them were like, I don't think that situation was great. I'm really sorry that happened to you. And I think that speaks a lot, too, because they're like military friends, too, which is like a whole nother level of bond.
2: (laughs) My uh, my high school relationship, uh, we were actually really good friends before we started dating. So we had a bunch of mutual friends and um, it got really bad once I had left for school. I left uh, I left the state to go to school somewhere else. And, you know, I had almost moved home and transferred to the community college for him. But again like my parents are great they you know shut that down real quick um so he was actually when i had like cut off contact before we were like officially like done he was like knocking on our friend's door like hey have you heard from you heard from mo yet like i can't get a hold of her blah 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 and um once i had like told him like i couldn't do this anymore like it was done because all of our friends pretty much stayed around around town for school or they went straight into the workforce or whatever he got to all of them first but so he told I like and I don't know what kind of story he um he told but when I went to get my stuff from his house his roommate who was a mutual friend was like giving me the cold shoulder and things like that and two of my best friends from school um the Joes they they were kind of like unsure of what to believe because we had been we grew up together and then you know my my ex um they made friends in like junior high or middle school or something so it's like these two very strong friendships and they're like i don't really want to get in the middle of this so i'm just gonna not play both sides but like until i understand what really went on like i'm not gonna do anything just in case be neutral
0: back <laughs> yeah
2: yeah which i like i totally understand that and whenever we would get together and you know, my ex would be coming. The Joes would have him send them a text like, "Hey I'm on my way, so that would give me time to get out." So as you know the three of us conversed about you know what actually happened, they were like, "Now that you're telling me this, now I can see not only you know personality flaws in in your in the ex, but why you know, you started acting weird and like, why, you know, all these other things occurred. Mm-hmm. And then I've, you know, I still got friends who are friends with the ex, or I still have friends from high school who are friends with the ex. So I see, you know, he pops up on my social media, you know, every once in a while, because they all still hang out, which is almost like, re, re traumatic in itself, because he's like, taken those friends from me, and now, you know, I'm worried about, like, do they now see me in a different light? Because, you know, they haven't spoken to me since things have ended.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a period of time after my relationship ended where it was just, like, every once in a while someone would come out of the woodwork and be like, oh, man, you know, I thought that I thought that you were the bad guy in this relationship. But now I see that you weren't. And it's just, like, pretty much if I just left, ha- left it alone, like, he would hang himself. <laughs> which was somewhat redeeming but also it's just kind of like it was exhausting it's because you're like okay i don't want to have to fight for every single one of you people like if you were worth it you're gonna you're you're gonna put in the effort too right so yeah yeah,
3: that's brutal and that's like when my ex split with me the first time it was my fault and i didn't even know what i had done luckily enough in the first split all of our mutual friends were like well, we don't understand why you guys split in the first place. And they were with me. We ended up getting back together. And then I was like, okay, well, this is actually a toxic relationship and they need to get out. And I split up. And then all of our mutual friends sided with her and didn't ask anything. Didn't even bother to reach out to me and say what actually happened. So for a good five six years all of those friends were just gone and they and one of them reached out and was like hey we haven't talked in a while uh, something happened a little while back while I was hanging out with her and I kind of see why <laughs> things happen the way they happened like yeah it was it was a bad time
2: <laughs> I think that's different for for men who are in abusive relationships too because it's just like the last couple of years where you know men who are being abused are now stepping up and speaking out because you're a mm-hmm. man you're bigger than her like why aren't you doing anything about mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. but also like you can't hit her
4: <laughs> what are you gonna and, and what if she's hitting you like I've had family members yeah. who've had women partners who have hit them like what do you you can't hit back you can't and then you're no you're married or you're inextricably tied with something like how are you Mm -hmm. supposed to get out of that
0: yeah Yeah, i had a a male friend who was in an an abusive relationship with a woman and she was yeah beating him and he obviously couldn't see the situation at all and they had two children together so it's just like it took him years to leave and like one day out of nowhere, like five years after the last time we talked, he's like, hey, by the way, I left her. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, you're still alive. Well, that's great. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, I, I finally realized what was going on. I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm glad you're back and I'm glad that you're out. But yeah, it's it's brutal. And then yeah, there is a lot less support and just even acknowledgement of the fact that men can be in abusive relationships, physical or not.
1: If a woman physically fights back, then... Sometimes she's lauded for it, thinking Mm -hmm, of a very specific story from my husband's family where she (laughs) shot him. Um, (laughs) Yep, with a shotgun. Oh, yeah. Dead, 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 dead. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was a shoot-to-kill kind of woman. Um, It was, yeah, (laughs) I was like... I mean,
4: honestly, though, that's what you're supposed to do.
1: Right, but if a man were to do that...
4: Oh, yeah it would look mm-hmm. so much worse it
1: yeah. would look like domestic violence yeah and we would instantly tag it as that without understanding extenuating circumstances because oh, yeah. unfortunately history has largely taught us that usually it, it is mm-hmm. yeah the husband did it right right or, the husband or did it you know you know so it's the, it's that thing and I, that's what i appreciate because courtney introduced me to that strictly stalking podcast um where they they purposely um uh, highlight men's stories too mm-hmm. which is okay. yeah it, it's it's really um it's one of those things where it's like you got to listen to it and kind of like gird your loins a little bit because you're like okay I got to prepare myself mentally you know to listen to this but yeah. I, I I went through and listened to the the stories featuring men first mm-hmm. because I wanted to hear that perspective um, that is so different than my yeah. own lived one, or you know anyone else whom I know who is female or femme presenting. Um, so it was it it. Man, what the fuck? What the fuck did we do in this society? We fucked
4: up <laughs> like a lot somewhere along the way. Somewhere along the way, we done fucked up like a lot. <laughs> but I also think that a lot of these things and behaviors have been going on for a long time like even before we had things like the internet um
2: oh yeah the internet makes it talk about it
4: makes it a little easier and then it makes it easier to talk about it right because you can do something like you can talk about it anonymously you can just do some research you can you know but then on the other hand it also makes things like stalking a little easier like I I can pull kinds of information about people with just like slivers of information and no real training
1: at all and no real training i'm, at at I'm no just, training.
0: I'm just yeah. good at google like <laughs> yeah um yeah, if you look at so, stuff i do for Jen, it legitimately is and the only difference yeah. is i'm not interacting with these
4: people right well <laughs> and and i think that's the thing too is like you can do it and, and your intent kind of changes like like if i'm looking up somebody with the intent of like like i've I guess you could say I've stalked my abusive ex. I want to know where he is and what he's doing so that I know that I'm safe, but that intent is different than I am looking up to see where you live so that I can send you something that I know will ruin your day, like a bouquet of flowers or to know where your house is,
0: you know? And I also think the me too movement definitely helped a lot with people being more comfortable coming out and talking about it as well. Yeah. I think that made a big difference.
1: Don't like any of this. I'm just gonna go no, on. There it's right. all, <laughs> it's
4: just, I know, it's I know. <laughs> my oh my we end having these deep pauses and like I can feel the 30-yard stare coming, like, no, you have to stay back. I, <laughs> I have to finish a podcast first and then we can start these No, all but right, it, it's it's been
1: nice to hear, you know, from you, Morgan, that the the field of study and and specifically like what you're looking at with trauma. Um it, is coming along in a way that i'll be honest i never held out hope that it would yeah um because it, it just you're right it, it did seem like oh it's the, and, and i was taught my whole thing is childhood trauma it's a totally different thing um i was taught very early on like we don't
4: talk about yeah right yes. that's a real we don't thing talk too. about this oh yeah we because don't talk about those. We don't talk about those things in our family, right? Every, it's kind of like, I don't know if anyone's like, spoiler alerts for Encanto, like, we don't talk about Bruno, right? Mm-hmm. We don't <laughs> we don't discuss yeah. the things that are uncomfortable or sad or hard or, or make us feel uncomfortable. You bury that shit down. You put it in the box. You lock <laughs> the box. You bury the box. That's how you deal with your trauma. And that's a terrible way to deal with trauma.
3: If you're in an ultra-religious family, it's fine. We don't talk about it. God will take care of it.
4: Yeah. <laughs> well, and then like, like I did try to go to to a therapist for a while about some other issues and their their only thing was like, well, now you have to confront it. And I'm like, I'm not confronting this person. The no. The backlash to this is not going to be good for me. It is not bringing me any kind of release. I am feeling sicker thinking about doing it like and then I quit going because I was like, if that's the next step and you have no other step for me, I'm done. And so to hear that, like it's changing and evolving, and that, like the the person going to their the therapy, I don't know what you would the call us the client, patient, yeah, patient, client. Yeah. client, yeah, the okay. therapy, uh, <laughs> has more control over <laughs> over their their treatment and the way that it's going because, like, I mean, granted, that was probably like ten years ago ish, like that was the only recourse. And, and that l- not only put me off therapy for that issue, but uh, other issues that have happened since, you know, I've been like, well, they're just going to tell me I need to do X, Y, Z. I've looked into it, I, the, the therapy, the thought of it's going to be this, and I, I can't do that, or I've done that and it's not helping. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it makes me kind of like,
2: is so, it's so personal. Yeah. You know, like, for me, the way that I would like to practice is, like, you know, obviously, like, if your abusive ex, uh, you're, if your ex did all these abusive things, like, I'm not going to say, like, hey, you should call him up and, like, you know, close that door kind of thing. Yeah. But, like, you need to get to a place where you're okay with moving on without an apology, where you can be okay with yourself to say, yes, this happened, this was not my fault, um... And just kind of like come to peace with that on your own, because the only thing you're doing by reaching out or, you know, whatever else is like reopening those wounds and you can't heal or find healing or, you know, move on or, you know, whatever else, if you're not at peace with yourself.
0: Yeah. And it also just seems like a way to just like reignite the abuse as well, because now you just open the door to this person to be back in your life
4: right the whole i've changed <laughs> i've i've done work on myself i'm a new person uh-huh. we can be friends now
0: yeah no um i do have a question um i know that you're most of your space are focused more on so the patient client um side but um have you, have you guys ever talked about um people who've recovered like recovered abusers so i'm really curious about like if there's any sort of precedent to that. Like obviously I don't want to put in anyone's side like mind of like I can fix them, but you know
4: You can't fix them.
0: No, you can't fix them. No the one can
4: fix them. Well, now you get you going no to there. Can... they are going to be fixing themselves by going to therapy.
0: They have to be willing that to fix themselves. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
2: Um, I actually wrote that down because I want to look into that. I don't know if I don't I don't know. Um mm. the only example I can think of would be the house to call it like secondhand abuse. Like um, you know, someone who's struggling with, you know, an alcohol addiction or a gambling addiction or whatever. So like someone who is gambling away, like, you know, life savings and children's college things and whatever, that in itself is a type of abuse, mm-hmm. but it's kind of indirect. Mm, so yeah. you're still putting all of this strain on the family or like, you know, drug users or um, substance abuse users, it's, you know, now the victim or the family or whoever has to walk on eggshells. So now it's, it's just those little things like, you know, I have a friend who had a bad childhood and every time their garage door opened that signaled, Oh my God, dad's home for work. I need to pick up my shit from the living room, and run to my, run to my bedroom for, you know, the rest of the evening until dinner is ready. And, you know, they're even, you know, they could be at a friend's house, and the garage door goes up, and they kind of like seize for a second, and like, nope, no, I'm safe, and I'm in a safe environment, safe. like that's not here, kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah, it's really interesting. Like with, with my ex, um, he was he was also an addict. He was a drug addict. Um, a year into the relationship, he finally quit, and he was clean for the rest of the relationship. But yeah, like yeah, I could see how like some having an external issue, like a secondary abuse, like you said, like that is something that can change you can't tackle that but yeah with the like the primary per- person abuse yeah i've never heard any stories of anyone actually reforming no
2: no i'll look into that and see if i can find anything but i would be i would honestly be a little surprised yeah if there is even if i can even find like a case study on that
0: yeah if you find anything definitely let us know because yeah i'm be super curious it's one thing always comes up when people ask about jen and stuff was like oh well do you think she's still doing it and like probably um like i can't see a reason why she would stop at this point but like and i and it's like i try to think about like what would it take to make her stop and i can't think of anything based on what i know about her
2: no a lot of like the manipulation and stuff that's a lot of that can be ingrained in personalities mm-hmm. and it's like i've gotten away with it once so why not do it again or, you know, I found something I'm really good at, why not use it abuse it?
0: Or is this is the only way I know how to how to have relationships. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that too.
1: Getting something out of it that's so fundamental to their personhood. Mm-hmm. They yeah. can't tear themselves away from it. I I have a really stupid question. <laughs> Mostly because <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> I and and Part of this would probably be, you know, my own, um, experiences. But when abusers in general, whether it be like an intimate relationship or a friendship or a family relationship, whatever the case may be, it's not like they're all going down a checklist, right? They just know if I do this, I get this reaction typically, Mm -hmm. like I've done it once this has sh- history has shown me that I will get the reaction that I want. And if I don't, then I can like twist and manipulate things in the way that I need to, in order to gain that reaction or lack of a reaction, whatever the case may be. Um, but there have to be some who are, who are operating in such a way that it's, it's so fucking um, purposeful that there's no way they can, I hate to say this, but there's no way they can change. Is that like a, is that something that's been ever been really looked at? I'm so curious about like the mindset in that. And the reason I say this is because my mother was, is, I don't know if she's dead or not, probably still alive, um, (laughs) terrible human being, but she also has borderline personality disorder. So, there is a, a fundamental, it's like addiction or anything else, there's a fundamental aspect there that's changing her personality that causes her to react in certain ways. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I'm just so, so curious if that's ever really been looked at, like how hardwired these people are to do these things. And I guess that tacks on to Kayla's question of if the reform thing, if yeah. it's even possible. Because yeah. I try, I try not to throw people in the dumpster, there are a few handfuls of people I like, throw in the dumpster, like pedophiles. But for the most part, I would like to think, like, most people could could hopefully maybe, you know, gain some semblance of not-shittiness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's my technical term for it. <laughs> not-shittiness. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I thought kind of BPD pulled up right here, like, right in front of me. Because I think, I don't know if it was in, like, you guys had said that... Jen might have BPD or maybe I read it somewhere else, but I I just pulled it up just in case it came up. And to answer your question, I think it kind of boils down to the, uh, the statement of you can't help somebody who doesn't want help. Okay. Right? Okay. So someone with BPD, because a lot of people with BPD, like they are aware of the pitfalls or like the the They're aware of their effect of their actions when they have an episode on others. So they're like, I need to get this under control to then fix these fraying relationships, whether that's medication or um, um, therapy or, you know, whatever else. There's always that kind of like, I need to make myself better for other people or like to you know, put your own mask on before, before putting on someone else's oxygen mask kind of thing. Um, because you, I mean, you can't, anyone who doesn't want to change or doesn't want that help, they can sit across from me in a session for 12 straight sessions, and not say a single word. Because if they don't want that help, anything I say to them isn't going to change their mind.
0: For sure. Um, Yeah, so Jen, um, we know that as a child, she had oppositional disorder, which is a common precursor to many personality disorders. Um, We don't have any idea for sure what current diagnosis is, but a lot of people do suspect that it could be BPD. There are symptoms that seem to align with that, but that's pure conjecture and an unprofessional thing. Um, You said operational defiant
2: disorder? Yes. I'm just going to pull it up. I know... I have worked with, um, individuals with it, but it has been more of, um, unprompted like bouts of anger, just Mm -hmm. like zero to 60 and, you know, 0.4 seconds.
0: Like I've I've had, um, I had a friend who had BPD, um, and while she was going through the process of diagnosis and treatment and everything like that. And from what I understand it's it's an incredibly difficult disorder to treat, and uh, treat effectively because the fact oftentimes the people that are experiencing it don't want to be treated, or they can't necessarily see the benefits of doing so.
2: A lot is- of the medication for BPD or for yeah. um, bipolar mania is more or less the sedative. So it's like that cloudy, foggy kind of mindset. And a lot of people don't like that. And I don't blame them because, you know, I've been on medications where like, I'm just kind of like on autopilot and, you know, I wake up on Sunday and suddenly it's Thursday night. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's why for me, medication is never a first, a first choice. It's, I think it can definitely be used as like a a crisis intervention. Like, Hey, let's get them under control and then we can stick them into therapy and, um, not under, that that was poor phrasing, but like, get, (laughs) Um the, of, the the side effects under control, we'll get them, you know, kind of to we'll get them to baseline and then we'll start therapy, give them some tools, and we can start weaning weaning them off the medication now mm-hmm. that they understand more about themselves, more about the disorder, more about how to live with it day to day.
0: Yeah. For sure. Makes yeah.
1: sense. I remember doing a lot of research, like after we had the family split thing. And I remember thinking for a really long time that she had bipolar and then I was like, but she doesn't get the mania part of it. Like there's not it was missing that like really key portion of the the diagnosis, at least at the time when I was when I was looking through <laughs> all of the medical journals and stuff, because apparently that's how I handle problems is to go down full obsessive and like try to no like, unravel. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm not in a room of like-minded people at all. I don't know what you're, (laughs) I don't feel, not called out. Um, And then when I stumbled upon that, I went, oh, shit. That makes a lot of sense. Because she would say things like, I know something's wrong, but I don't care. Because talking to someone about this, I would never, ever, ever tell anyone anything about this. And she grew up in an abusive household. So it's like. There were a lot of things that started like, to click into place. Mm-hmm. I went, oh, okay, now I understand everything. And I will admit for a while, you know, I just, I was like, I, I don't care. She did horrible things. I don't, I don't give a crap. Everybody who has it, I'm, I know I'm wrong now. But at the time I was dealing with very bad trauma and was just like, no, I don't want to co I don't want to go near anyone who has this. If they tell me, if they tell me they're bipolar, I don't want anything to do with it. And then I many years later, bumped into someone, um, who I was actually working with and we started to, uh, become friends. And she was like, oh yeah, you know, I, I deal with bipolar one. I would have, I had no idea and not that I would have anyways. And two, it immediately, I had to, I I reared back I was like, damn it. I know better than this. I know better than this, but I still did it. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean,
2: it's,
1: it's a response right there. Yeah. 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 And I, I knew it too. And I was like, God, I know better. I really do. It bothered me. So it bothers me to this day. Um, so it's, it's good to know that they can't like folks who are, are struggling with that. Obviously it's not their fault. Like we all know that Who are struggling with that can be helped but it's it's unfortunate that the the medication does that because that's yeah that's no way to live that's awful
0: it's yeah it's between two bad choices really right is there
1: a better understanding or is there a, a gaining of understanding of personality disorders i see discussion of them pop up
2: more that's kind of a hard question to answer yes and no fair um, schizophrenia is like one of the ones that pops up a lot because like that one has kind of like a genetic component. component. Thank you. Genetic genetic component. Yeah. Um, but there are, I mean, the brain's still like not super understood. So it's, and especially like when it comes to trauma and things like that, because like your brain just like shuts down because you're your brain doesn't give a shit whether you're happy and smiling and, you know, in a good spot physically. Like your only, your brain's only job is to help you survive from one day to the next. So, it's it has to do what it has to do. And when you're studying, you know, brains as a generalization versus as one of 7 or 8 billion different ones that are currently alive and working right now, it comes it becomes very hard to make those kind of generalizations there are some bigger links that are popping up. And I actually just read a book on this that was like super interesting. And it's talking about the genetic link between like generational trauma. Like, I don't know if you've heard that among like Holocaust survivors, especially. Yeah. But it, wow, it was so fascinating because it-
1: Is this The Body Keeps the Score?
2: No, but I love that book. Oh, <laughs> okay. Oh <my> <laughs> I just was... need to read that book. <laughs> Everybody reads the book. Oh my god, um, I've read it cover to cover so many times. Yeah. Um, no, this one is. It's called "It Didn't Start with You." Oh uh, yeah. I'll send you guys, send you guys all the information and a little bit of a disclaimer, I guess. The research part of it super super interesting. How the I can't remember if he was a psychiatrist or a psychologist. How he presented his own case studies, I didn't like, because he kind of used this as like a, a quick fix. So it was like, the, the individual comes in with whatever issues, they explore the family history, they find a link, and then just like that, they're cured. I, I don't know yeah, if I believe yeah. that, because I haven't seen enough evidence for it, but- It seems um,
0: way too convenient. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah, it is way too convenient, and maybe he just did it that way for um, page constraint, but um, kind of like bothered me. But that's fine. So basically, it's like one of the case studies was this 22-year-old college kid comes in and was left in like four days. I can't get anything done. I'm like, I'm in four coats, blankets, thick socks. Like, I don't know what's happening. It was just one day I woke up in the middle of the night. You know, couldn't breathe, like having trouble breathing. I was like, my chest was super heavy. I was super cold, and it's been like a week now. And you know, I don't, I don't know what's going on. So this uh, person, his name's Mark uh, Wallen. Wallen, he was like, all right, let's you know go back, talk to your talk to your parents about you know some kind of trauma or death in the family that involves not being able to sleep or being cold or, you know, things like that. So he goes home. His mom was like, Oh yeah, by the way, I had a brother who died at age 22 who was caught in a snowstorm and you froze to death essentially. And, um, so the kid comes back and he was like, you know, this is what happened. And, um, the Mark was just like, "You know, now, you know, that's probably it. You're probably re-experiencing the trauma that your uncle, who you had no idea that existed, was experiencing the last, you know, couple hours of his life. And you're afraid to go to sleep now because you're cold. And what if you go to sleep while you're cold and you don't wake up? So it's your brain kind of telling you, like, your brain is now, or I guess, like, you're, you somehow knew you had this uncle that, you know, died in the middle of a snowstorm but you weren't aware of it. So now your brain, you know, the day you turned 22, the same age your uncle died. Now your brain's like having a fit kind of thing. So then he, the, the client goes home is able to sleep. And it was because he like, he knows this link and he's like, okay, this isn't my trauma. This isn't my thing to like work through. Like, this isn't my experience. So the counselor had, or Mark had the the client go home and, you know, kind of talk to um the dead uncle which isn't uncommon for like grief um it's it's called the empty chair technique so you talk at this empty chair to like work through your feelings kind of thing especially if it's um like an abrupt death or things like that um he goes home he does it he comes back to the next session and suddenly he's like yeah i I, yeah i slept for three straight days and now everything's fine that i don't so much believe but like that's kind of the thought process Mm -hmm. um and it's also, it's different for men and women too. Women is kind for the women, it's more um, more of the generational trauma, where for men, it's um, a trauma from a certain period. And that comes from um, the, the lifespan of sperm versus the lifespan of eggs and, like, how they develop and things. Because at one point because, um, like, women are born with all the eggs they'll ever have, right? Right. So at one point, your grandmother is holding in her stomach three generations – or two generations, um, if you look in terms of eggs. So it's your grandmother who has your mother in her, sto- in her stomach who then your mother has you in terms of, like, her eggs kind of thing. So now whatever trauma the grandmother is going through – is affecting the development of the fetus, which is now affecting its DNA and now the development of their own eggs and their that DNA kind of there. With men, the I can't I can't remember the lifespan of sperm, but it's you know, it's reduce, reuse, recycle kind of thing with them. And it's <laughs> um so the the stress on the father um at age like 12 isn't gonna affect. The trauma at 12 isn't going to affect the offspring at 43, but trauma at age 37 in that span of conception is going to affect the DNA of that sperm and the offspring. It's interesting.
0: Does
2: yeah.
4: Does that relate, relate back to the, I don't know if you've heard of this, but the CDC Kaiser Permanente ACE study? Have you heard of this?
2: Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah.
4: That's what I uh, thought you were talking about at first.
2: So all I know about the ACE studies is like it's basically an assessment you can give out to children and kind of like gauge um, kind of like their their um, reactions to trauma. but you cannot diagnose children with PTSD. Or PTSD symptoms, or like anything like that related to trauma, and I think it's in the body keeps a, keeps the score where the the author uh, Bessel van der Kolk he puts this committee together and they specifically do all this research on ACEs and child trauma and whatever else, and they put together a um, a DSM diagnosis for the DSM five. And it went through and the, the people on the board on the DSM board were like, yes, this is what we want. Um, give us all of it. We'll stick it in there. We'll review it, blah, blah, blah. And the DSM-5 comes out and it's not there. Huh. So all of these children are being diagnosed with op- oppositional defiant disorder or ADHD or, you know, whatever else. And they're being medicated for the wrong, the wrong disorder because you can't medicate and diagnose someone for something that technically doesn't exist. So, you know, you can say that this child is experiencing these trauma symptoms, but you can't do anything about it because there's technically no scientific, there's no published scientific backing of it. There's no uh. generalized understanding in the community. Like we all know it's there. We all know it's an issue but we can't do anything about it because we don't have those. I don't say we don't have the tools, but we're not being allowed to use the tools to their fullest extent to quote unquote fix or like heal the kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So oh, in the body keeps the score. And in um, what happened to you by um, it's a, like an interview book, joint effort kind of thing with Oprah and uh, Bruce Perry, who's a, MD PhD. Um, and it's they they're seeing all these things like this kid is having issues with the teacher and they don't know why. It's this male teacher, and this kid who has trauma is just like not getting along for whatever reason. And it was like immediate like first impression, didn't like him. And so he's not doing the schoolwork, he's not paying attention, you know, he's causing issues, blah blah blah. Well, Perry gets in with this kid on these one-on-one sessions um they're talking through it and then the the kid's father comes in for like a supervised meeting and um the and perry can tell that this father has is wearing a shit ton of cologne to cover up the like his the smell of alcohol not only on his breath but on his clothes too so when perry goes to meet the teacher he's like i've smelled this before so he asks he like has this hunch that the teacher and the father wear the same kind of cologne so he tells the teacher hey next week don't wear this cologne like i'll buy you a new one wear something different and immediately the kid was like open and receptive to the teacher so like a lot of trauma is from the outside looking in mm-hmm. like i don't know my triggers or my quirks or whatever until someone or like when my anxiety flares up or like I have an episode or whatever until someone's like, Hey, you're being a bitch. Like is your anxiety high? Cause you're being super irri- ir- irritable right now. And I'm like, and I take a step back and I'm like, no, yeah, you're right. I need to do a little bit of self care here, but kids mm-hmm. don't have the capacity for that. And a lot of professionals don't look for it because it's not, it's not in our Bible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's not something you can just like make a checklist for either. It's, Mm-mm. It's the complicated
2: mm-hmm. and a lot of too even with adults like for ptsd like there's very specific requirements to meet and you have to meet like four of seven or like five of six or whatever so you can have like ptsd um like you can have some of those diagnostic criteria but you cannot officially be diagnosed with PTSD. I can't officially bill the insurance company for, um, you know, the more expensive PTSD treatment because my client doesn't have that. Now I have to, you know, come back to square one and pick and choose um, how to um, like tackle each of this criteria on its own piecemeal versus something that might actually really help them. In the shorter amount of time,
0: yeah. And how do developments like that, um, like filter the way into this? Is always like it's like pretty much all psychology stuff like, tied to the DSM. If it's not on the DSM, no one cares, kind of thing.
2: Um, it's the D- it's the, uh, <laughs> the DSM is like it's kind of political, just like any other thing in America. This the DSM five is probably the last one that's going to be made uh, or published for a long time um there's something else that psychologists use or like is recognized within like the medical system and i cannot remember what it's called i know it's io something um the abbreviations but that's more of what we're kind of turning to because that's more of like an international standard
0: mm. well that's that, that's cool I, like yeah the dsm is yeah, they, whatever some of the stuff it does but yeah it does have a very narrow perspective like historically on how to deal with certain things and how it defines certain things
2: i was gonna say is it the icd i think that's right let me, let me pull up the google i don't want to say uh because i i just googled dsm versus
4: i and i came up with icd uh and it says it's produced by uh it is a cork function of the world health organization um yeah. And is used for psychiatry.
2: Yes, that's it. Thank you. The ICD. Huh.
4: Hmm. I've never heard, heard, of, heard of it before. No. Yeah, I have a it, minor in psychology, and I've never been told about it before.
2: I didn't know about it until I started my master's program, and this is part wow. of the the universal uh, thing because the DSM doesn't really account for culture. They've got like a little asterisk for culture in there, but it's it's not enough. Um, I know one of the examples that my um, my professor at the time had used was was ADHD, and the numbers of children diagnosed with ADHD in the in the states in America is astronomically higher than in Europe. And if you go through the DSM criteria of ADHD, it sounds like a typical teenager. Yeah. And like, how do you differentiate hormonal versus, you know, an actual learning disorder? Um,
0: Yeah. And it's very inadequate at diagnosing ADHD and and female or AFAB. A
2: lot of people I know weren't, a lot of women I know with ADHD weren't diagnosed until college or like in their 30s. Yeah, I was
0: 25 so Mm -hmm. yeah i I had no idea and so like when i found out i was and like once i got on medication like oh this explains everything (laughs) like i became super obsessed with it because that's what i do and i read all about it and stuff and uh dr berkeley i think it is i love his stuff uh but yeah it's just like oh okay well you know this is my entire life in a nutshell like and it's i think about like how different my life could have been if i'd been diagnosed earlier on but just yeah there's no way it would have ever been found
4: but I think it's the same thing with autism too, like autism and women presents completely differently and it's really hard to get diagnosed with it as an adult. And as, um, if an AFib person, unless you have a particularly severe case, which is also not the way that I talk about it anymore, but that's what, mm-hmm. what it ends up having to take as far as I've been able to find.
2: Like Just the whole mental health field is so far behind because you know, you, you, you're stuck on the middle-aged white men's views and theories for so long. And I mean, mental health care wasn't covered by insurance until 1996. So 25, 26 years later, now everyone is starting to get the help that they need. And they're starting to get answers to how they're feeling and how they're acting and behaving and whatever. But we still have so many questions because it's not, you can't, you can't see it. You can break a leg and you're like, yeah, you broke a leg. Here's, you know, everybody breaks a leg in different ways, but you fix it the same way. You get, you yeah. get, like, you choose one of four options, but you don't get that with depression. You don't get that with BPD or, you know, anxiety or whatever else. So it's yeah. hard to, hard to study it or get funding or, you know, whatever for it. And it's yeah. still really hard to get treatment.
0: Yeah. It's just the accessibility is still a big thing too. Yeah. Just, yeah. If you don't have really good insurance or have money, the odds of you actually getting proper uh, mental health care is slim, too.
2: Yeah. And uh, even if you do get mental health care through your insurance, your, the insurance company always limits based yeah,
0: on like five sessions or something.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I am re- like, you go to a counseling session for your first time, and I have to diagnose you right then to build your insurance company. No, I can change that diagnosis later as we get into things, but like, I have to diagnose you with something, mm-hmm. um, before, you know, your sessions can get approved. But if I think that you need 12 sessions or 15 sessions, but your company or your insurance company is only giving you seven because, you know, seven, seven weeks should be enough to get over it, which is, you know, pretty much the bare minimum. Like you only need like four weeks or something. I think that it was that I read to like get over depression or like.
4: Cure <laughs> your depression forever. Yeah, and, I haven't
2: like, been depressed for years. Time to like build that rapport and like get your client to start talking and trusting you.
0: Not nearly enough. No. no. Universal well, and it's, healthcare, it's,
4: <laughs> and <laughs> it still grows too. That the, the like when you said like if if it comes to like PTSD and you only hit four. You know, you don't hit the the number of of criteria that you need, they can dictate your care. That's wrong. And it happens in the medical system too with physical health. Yeah. For
0: sure.
4: It's all garbage.
0: It's all <laughs> it's trash. Garbage. It's
4: garbage. It all in the dumpster. Set it all on fire. Let's start. <laughs> I was gonna say so the solution is fire, correct? That's what always, we're always always, agreeing sorry. on that. <laughs> always. Perfect. What do you do in the exterminators' late? You burn the building down. Right. Sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Sure. yeah. How many? So <laughs> works in D and D. It's fine. Yeah. Absolutely. That's <laughs> What I do every time. I don't <laughs> like this. I'm setting the house on fire.
3: <laughs> Social adapter <encounter> resolved. <result. laughs>
4: oh. oh, you guys were still in the basement. My bad. <laughs>
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on, Morgan. This has been super, super interesting and enlightening. And you've been an absolute pleasure.
1: We're going to have more questions. So just be prepared for that. (laughs)
0: Think about it later.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, this is totally great. Um, We've kept you for two hours, though, at this point. So I feel like we should let you (laughs) leave (laughs) this.
3: I'm starting to melt in here. Are you, oh no, the oh, closed no. A
1: <laughs> Oops. i have to go take bailey's food away she's gonna hate me uh-huh. <laughs> i know the robot I feeds know. the
3: cat in the morning at night so we're good we're
1: i'm i'm about to get my nose eaten yeah in the middle of the night because i have to take <laughs> it away from
4: all of them just <laughs> and you can't shut your door because they do that thing at the door and it makes the door rattle or Hilly turns into a total bitch and
1: like manages to pull the door open oh because she God. can.
4: Fucking. I don't know. Love cats, man. <laughs> so good.
0: So good. Thank sleeping. you, Morgan. Thank yeah, you thank so you. much. Mm-hmm. So much fun. Yay. Oh, good. good. I'm, glad. I'm glad it was an enjoyable for you. This will be good, <laughs>
4: practice, good practice for when you're on uh, another big, uh, like a big, big podcast one day talking about Oh, how to help people you'll remember us when you're big <laughs> Absolutely. I'll
2: you guys out
0: first thing. <laughs> and that's it for this week next week nathan's going to talk to us about what it was like growing up as a jehovah's witness an organization that many outsiders think of as just another religion but for survivors is more akin to a secret occult rife with abusive power and a penchant for covering up atrocities and crimes within its own ranks As always, links, pictures, and additional information can be found on our website at thehumanexception.com. Keep up with all things exceptional. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at TheHumanException. Have a story that you want us to cover? Want to tell us that we're wrong or you just want to say hi? You can email us at thehumanexception at gmail.com. And if you want to get on the fun, you can come join us on our Discord server. Link can be found on our website. we also have a merch store now, so link can also be found on our website. Keep on being exceptional, humans, and have a wonderful weekend.